But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who told them, who with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, everything that we have said together this morning and everything that we have sung together this morning has been intended to help us do the very same thing that the angels just commanded to the women at the tomb. And that is that we would remember, that we would remember these events. What you just heard from the gospel according to Luke, it's recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, and John as well. Folks, that is the good news. Uh, The word gospel, right, one of those church words, um, it means good news. Literally, that's what it is. It's a transliteration that means good news. What you heard, that, that Easter story is the gospel. That Easter story is the good news. That Easter message that Jesus was crucified on Friday and then on the third day rose is the good news. Eggs, candy, brunch, pastels, nice new purple shirts, right? They're all fine and good, but they're secondary. Today is about Jesus being alive, about being hung on a cross, about being buried, and then about coming back to life, about the resurrection, not not the mere idea of a resurrection. This isn't just some spiritual notion. No, it is about the most glorious miracle in history happening. The Son of God, the perfect Holy One, killed, murdered, put into a public tomb. Private, but it was public. Everybody saw, everybody knew. And then on the third day, it was empty. It was empty. He had risen, and that is the gospel. That is the good news. In fact, today is the culmination of Jesus' entire three-year public ministry and, and especially, it's the culmination today of what took place, as I already mentioned, on Friday on the cross. And so right in the middle of the text that you, you heard read, and if you haven't, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 24. We're going to kind of be centered out of this text this morning. Right there in the middle of Luke chapter 24, verses 6 and 7, let me reread what those angels command the women, the women who are the first ones at the tomb This is what it says, Luke 24, verses 6 through 8, or verses 6 and 7. Remember 
It's a command to those women. Remember how Jesus, how he had told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So that is a command specific to those ladies there at the tomb. But I think we too need to remember as well. I think we need to remember, again, as I've said, that Easter is this. It is this good news. We need to remember these events uh, and the details surrounding these events uh, regarding his death and resurrection. And and we need to remember the meaning of those. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to remember the events surrounding the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And then we're going to remember the meaning or significance of those events. And then actually, number three, it, it, it ought to generate a response from, from us even today. As we remember the events, as we remember the meaning, we, we need to respond to this good news. So number one this morning then, let's remember the events of the cross and the resurrection. So back in Luke 24, as this particular Sunday morning is beginning, th- these women uh, who were part of his disciples, right? Sometimes we think of the disciples and we only think of uh, the 12, okay? But no, uh, they, were, they were disciples, but there were, there were hundreds of disciples, of followers of Jesus. The 12, they were designated apostles, okay? And so uh, as it turns out, on this morning, it was some of the women followers, some of the women disciples of Jesus who had gone to that tomb looking for the body of Jesus. They had witnessed his death on Friday, They witnessed and they knew where he was buried. Joseph of Arimathea used his tomb. He was a wealthy man. And and so they saw, as Jesus was taken from the cross, they saw where he was buried and this big stone would have been rolled uh, to to seal the tomb. And of course, we learned that the the Roman soldiers, they were guarding it for fear of some kind of shenanigans that could happen. And they show up. And they, they were surprised. They, they were not expecting the miracle that had occurred. They were not expecting the miracle of the resurrection. And that's why the angel says to them, remember that Jesus spoke about these things. Remember that Jesus said this was going to happen. Now, now Jesus had talked about it a bunch, but in particular, we have recorded for us three specific times where there's no veiled language, where, where Jesus is, is crystal clear that this is what's going to happen to him. In fact... Luke 18, 31 to 34, record the third and final time that Jesus was explicit about what would happen. Luke 18, 31 to 34, it says that he took the 12 and he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets, in other words, everything that's written in what we call the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures, everything that's written about The Son of Man, Jesus' favorite way to describe himself by those prophets, will be accomplished. And then Jesus elaborates, verse 32. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, that is to the Roman authorities, and he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, which is again technical to speak of horrible, horrible whipping and, and a beating that he would take, Often it killed people. They, they tried to take a person just to the point of death, and then they would stop. 
after being flogged, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. There it is. He's explicit, right, about what is going to happen to him. But then it says this, this saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. They understood none of these things and they did not grasp what was said. I'm convinced they didn't understand both parts of that. In other words, they didn't understand this deliverance and mocking and shameful treatment and the flogging and, and the crucifixion part, the killing. They, in their mind, no, the Messiah, the anointed one, was to come in and rule and lead. And even though the Hebrew scriptures, the prophets, the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, think of Isaiah 53, make it clear that there would be this suffering that the anointed one would experience um, they, they missed it. They, they, they weren't expecting that. Uh, they didn't grasp that. And they definitely didn't grasp this idea of resurrection, this idea of on the third day coming back to life. So let, let's talk about both those parts for just a moment. If you've been with us uh, on, on Sundays for, I think it's been like over 10 weeks now. Of course, we had some breaks, but we have been making our way through the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're taking a break, obviously, today from Hebrews, but uh, if you've been here, you know Hebrews, especially the center section, chapters 5 or so through where we are at now in, in chapter 10, have been devoted to this, this teaching that, that Jesus is completely and totally the true and better high priest, the true and better final once-for-all sacrifice, and that it was necessary for him to suffer all of these things. He had to shed his blood once and for all. Just listen to a few of these verses that we've, we've covered over the last weeks. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's what God's word says. Hebrews 10.10, and by that will, which is speaking of Jesus coming to obey God's will, by Jesus obeying God's will, we, whomever has been changed by these things, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then a few verses later, Hebrews ten fourteen, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That single offering is speaking of Jesus' once for all final shedding of his blood. Those events that happened to Jesus on Friday, Good Friday, they are part of God's will for him. He had to shed his blood. He had to be the once for all sacrifice. It was according to the plan of God. All the sacrifices from the law of Moses, they were all pointing forward to a time when once and for all, finally, Jesus would be not only the high priest, but, but himself the sacrifice. In fact, he would be our, our substitute because on the cross, on, on that good Friday, Jesus, early in the morning, had finished up his being arrested and, and the bogus trials. I mean, they were trials, but they, they, were, they were bogus, you could say. And then at 9 a.m., we learn from the gospel accounts, he's put onto the cross for six hours from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon, he, he hangs there. 
And in the afternoon, I don't know if any of you had a chance to watch uh, some of the little devotionals um, that I had emailed out uh, a reference to early in the week, but uh, a pastor doing those made a powerful point on, on Friday, on the Good Friday video, that between 9 and, and 3, or excuse me, noon and 3 in the afternoon, uh, there's this darkness that scriptures say that comes over uh, the area, the land, and, and it doesn't seem to be a tornado or, or something like that. It seems to be God just miraculously putting this, this darkness. And we don't really know why. We can, we can guess some things, but what we do know is that on the cross, as Jesus dies, as he bleeds, as he willingly went because he loved us to, to forgive us, well, in forgiving us, he's there on the cross bearing the wrath of God against sin. God who's holy, yes, and loving and just and righteous and forgiving, all of those things, but he, he's still holy. There's, there's a price to pay for sin, and his wrath would be poured out either on people one day at the end or on the Lord Jesus on the cross. And so that darkness is a picture of the darkness of God's wrath being poured out on the innocent one, on our substitute. And so Christianity is this great substitution where, where we deserve to die. We deserve God's wrath because we sin. We, we fall short of what God wants. We deliberately sin. We, we fall short of how we think we ought to live. Right? We, we don't even meet, up, meet our own standards. And yet, and yet Jesus died in our place and, and took that wrath. And then in, in doing so, those who believe, who repent and turn to him, they get his righteousness, uh, as theologians call it, imputed to them. So there's this substitution that occurs, the great exchange. But on the cross, John 19.30, I was telling my, my kids, I'm not into tattoos personally, no offense if you have them. Like, you know, that's fine. Uh, I don't have any. Um, but if I were to get a tattoo, my parents now are panicking. Um, if I were to get a tattoo, um, I would get a Greek word tattooed on my arm, and it's the Greek word tetelestai, which is translated, it is finished. Because John 19.30, it says that Jesus said, it is finished, tetelestai, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What is finished? Well, Jesus finished the work that he had come to do, the work that the Father sent him to do. He said in John 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He finished the work of perfectly obeying God's law, the perfect life we can't live. It is finished. He now on the cross has taken God's wrath. He's paid for sins once for all. Sacrifice is done. It is finished. It is finished. Tetelestai, it's a great, it's a great word. Don't worry, I'm not getting the tattoo. But if I were, that's what I would get. And again, back to Hebrews. Hebrews 1 verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And listen to this. After making 
purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is finished. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then went through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. It is finished. Or Hebrews nine twenty-five through 28. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood that's not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It is finished. So he said those words, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. So the women, back to Luke 24, on that first Easter morning, they needed to remember what he had said about his, about his death, but they also needed to remember what he had said about, about his resurrection, and, and so do we. So now let's consider uh, remembering the events of the resurrection. In John's account of the life of Jesus, John chapter 11, we have the account where Jesus um, is about to bring his good friend Lazarus back to life. Lazarus had died. Jesus was very close with this family, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And as he gets there and arrives, just prior to the miracle, he's talking with Martha, who's, who's grieving over what's happened. Of course, she's lost her brother. And I just was thinking this morning, you know, if, if this is your church, Soma, um, we have guests this morning. We're so glad you're, you're with us, but, but you wouldn't know guests, but, but our church does. This last year, we've lost three of our members to death. And we've grieved as, as friends and family, as a church, in the loss of our sisters, Julia, and then Dan, brother Ron. And Jesus' words to Martha need to be words we hear too. Jesus said in John eleven twenty three, your brother, Martha, your brother will rise again. And, and just again, our friends and Dan and Julia and Ron will rise again. But here's what's interesting, back to, to John 11. Martha's response, it probably wasn't like, like ours right in this moment. Hopefully those words to us are a comfort as we believe these things and we're living on this side of all of it, right? Think of the timeline of life. We're some 2,000 years removed and so forth. But in the context, Martha, her response is a bit different, but, it, but it's this. It's very much in step with the common Jewish belief of the day. This is what Martha says. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
But Jesus says to her, right, your brother will rise again. And, and she says, oh, yeah, Jesus, I, I know like one day when, when all of God's people rise, he'll rise because that was the common Jewish understanding of resurrection. There would be this, this resurrection at the end. But, but Jesus had something else in mind. And if you know the story, you know he's going to bring Lazarus out of the tomb. We, we sang glorious day that's playing off of the, that account a bit earlier. You see, for what is about to happen, for, for Lazarus to come forth, an individual bodily resurrection that was inconceivable to most uh, Jewish uh, people at that time. They, they did not understand resurrection in that way. If they understood resurrection, it was the future when all of God's people were resurrected. But that's not what Jesus meant. And so these women, they needed to remember what, what took place. And, and what took place was that Jesus brought, brought Lazarus to life, to life. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. And that was, again, a glorious miracle, but it was pointed to the fact that he, too, was going to, in the middle of history, come forth. So look back now again in Luke 24, verses 8 to 11. They're commanded, the women, to remember his death, the cross, to remember the resurrection, that he had spoken of it, and he had done things like bringing Lazarus as a, as a pointer. And then look at verse 24, verse 8, it says this. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. See, just like Martha's response back with Lazarus, individual Resurrections in the middle of time were not part of their, their thought. And so now the women have remembered, they believe, they return and tell. And no, no, it's an idle tale. They, they do not believe. You know, it's, it's worth noting that even as, as Jews of the first century didn't expect a resurrection in, in the middle uh, of history, um, Non-Jews also didn't expect resurrection, okay? It's worth recalling that this idea, this miracle, um, it isn't something that, well, they believed in crazy things 2,000 years ago, you know, and today we're smart and we have science and, and so forth. No, they, the Jews didn't believe this kind of thing could happen, and, and non-Jews also, they, of course, didn't believe in the idea of a resurrection. Uh, there's a scholar by the name of N.T. Wright, and he's done extensive work on the topic of the resurrection, both in Jewish thought and non-Jewish thought, and in particular on the way non-Jewish people thought about things surrounding death there in the Mediterranean world, east and west, okay, non-Jewish thought. Um, he reveals some important aspects of how people thought about these things. Let me, let me read an extended quote here. He writes this, In Greco-Roman thinking, the soul or spirit was good, and the physical and material world was weak, corrupt, defiled, to them, the physical, by definition, was always falling apart. And therefore, salvation was conceived as liberation from the body. So in this worldview, resurrection was not only impossible, it was totally undesirable. No soul, having gotten free from its body, would ever want to be back. And even those who believed in reincarnation, well, they understood the return 
to an embodied life meant that the soul was not yet out of its prison. So the goal was to get free of the body forever. Once your soul is free of its body, a return to a re-embodied life was outlandish, unthinkable, and impossible. So resurrection, whether in Jewish thought and non-Jewish thought, no one, no one expected any of this. When the angels say, remember what he told you, yeah, he had said it, but right over their heads. These are categories they just completely didn't, didn't grasp. It was an idle tale. So now back to the apostles. For them, no, no, no. This is an idle tale. Dead people stay dead. And even though Lazarus has happened, um, they, they are not expecting their Messiah to be alive. They, they are crushed over what happened. They watched him die. They watched him taken off the cross, put in a tomb, the tomb sealed. And they went into the Sabbath, Saturday, just heartbroken that, that the one they had been following for three some years who had said the most amazing things and healed people was gone. They, they didn't expect resurrection. And often in our day, we don't either. We, we kind of think, well, you know, Easter, resurrection, the Easter bunny. <laughs> well, let's keep those ideas completely separate. We need to remember the resurrection and not, not have chronological snobbery as C.S. Lewis uh, kind of coins uh, now 70 or so years ago. Um, we, we need to not look down on people back then that they would believe outlandish things. It, you know, it's, it's interesting. I love, look at verse 12. After, after it says that they didn't believe it was an idle, or they believed was, this is an idle tale, they did not believe. Look what it says, though, verse 12. But Peter, he rose and ran to the tomb. Not because he believes, but he, he, he wants to know if this, this happened. He's looking for some rationality. Is, could this be? It says, stooping, looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He had to go investigate. He had to go investigate. They too had to consider these things. Um, not all of them just simply believed, right? They, they had to investigate as well. They had a difficult time with resurrection, even as people in our day do as well. Let me have you think with me about just a couple of things. The resurrection of Jesus and all the surroundings, of course, his death and his life, it, it changed the world. Just think about the date. I love just this simple exercise for a minute. Today is April 17, 2022. And even if we go with kind of the new way of identifying the year as that of being in the common era, let's, let's go with that. This is 2022 CE, common era. Uh, that's compared to BCE, before the common era. Well, so where's the end of BCE and the beginning of CE? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He changed the world. We date our world around his coming. Our whole calendar, the calendar that's used virtually around the world, is based on him. Before the common era and then the start of the common era. And that, that beginning point is him. 
there are, there are so many lines of, of evidence that, that exist and, and reasoning that, that you can and should, we all should pursue. I, I'd love to recommend a few books. I recommend these every year, but if you don't have these, if you're in the mood to do some reading, uh, Tim Keller's written two amazing books, one called The Reason for God, um, that's been around about 12 years now or, or so or more, but that's still an excellent book that, that has a wonderful amount of uh, evidence and, and rationality that we can trust and believe in the whole, all of God and Christianity in particular and, and the resurrection. So check out the, the re- reason for God. And then he had a book that came out last year called Hope in Times of Fear, The Resurrection and the Meaning of Easter. And so he dives specifically into the resurrection. And then there's uh, some other books as well. Uh, Lee Strobel, all of his different case books and, and most specifically the case for Christ. In fact, today when, we're, when we dismiss, I hope you'll stick around, have, have a snack and some coffee, meet someone. And we've got some little Case for Christ booklets that kind of get to the nuts and bolts of some of this evidence that Lee Strobel, he had been a, a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. His wife had come to Christ and he so wanted to disprove what his wife suddenly started to believe that he investigated and he realized he couldn't disprove what she believed, and, and all the while God was drawing him to himself, and God saved him. And there was a movie made a few years ago uh, about his story, but, but the book is great. And so we'll have these little booklets. Um, take one if you're interested, or if you know someone that you need to like, you know, give the booklet to, take one for them as well. So take, they'll be on the table when we're done. But these go into great detail about the, the evidences uh, that exist. Uh, the tomb was empty. The fact that uh, women being the first at the tomb is a big deal. It, it lends validity to the, the account. Um, but then one I want to highlight just briefly, it has to do with the fact that when, when Jesus rose, he, there was 40 days that, that he was alive. And we learn part of that account in the Apostle Paul's letter of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written uh, not more than 20 years after the events of Jesus' life. So just think about that for a minute, 20 years. Some of you haven't been alive that long, or you have, but you don't remember uh, the first few years. Um, Some of us, we've been alive long enough to remember 20 years. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Some people want to say, well, these 500, they all had the same hallucination. Uh, but, but if you do some investigating into that, it's very, 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 very unlikely that 500 people would have the same exact hallucination. Uh, hallucinations, supposedly, that occurred, they don't happen quite that way. And here's what happened, and this is one of the evidences for our faith. Uh, Michael Kruger, a New Testament scholar that I really have come to respect in the last several years, he calls it this, the earliest Christians came to believe against all odds and against all expectations that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. Now again, notice the distinction there. Um, they came to believe it. And, and no one argues with that. I mean, that's what history says. Yeah, these people, 
They came to believe this event, and this event turned the world upside down. The fact that that many people would, would claim to believe something, uh, they, they could not have colluded, right? They, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have some private chat app where they could all, you know, in, in private secret get the, you know, do, no. And yet, these 500 people, when, when Paul here in 1 Corinthians writes about it, it's within 20 years of the events. It's, it's Paul's way of saying, this is what I, what's been passed on to me and what I've been preaching, and, and this has happened, and if, if there's questions, investigate, ask. People could have been found, people could have been spoken to, but they came to believe against all odds that Jesus had, in fact, been murdered and then he had risen. Now, there had been other supposed messiahs that had been around and recorded for us in history, but they died, and then you know what? Their movements, they died too. Because if you have a, a, a messiah and then they die, well, they're dead, and so much for that movement. But, but 500 plus people immediately, within days, saw Jesus alive and the world was turned upside down. Uh, Kruger writes extensively more about that, uh, and I encourage you to look into that. Jesus came back to life. He's described as the first fruits of what is to come one day, eventually to all who would trust in him. And that now moves me then to speak of our need to remember the meaning of the cross and resurrection. And we, we've talked about remembering the events surrounding the cross and the resurrection. And it's a miracle, but it can be trusted. It's, there's evidence for it, but what's the meaning of it? Just a couple of things. The first meaning of all of this cross-resurrection, folks, it, it's, it's about our very salvation. So, so Paul in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, says this. Jesus was delivered up, that's, that's talking about the cross, delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, and he was then raised for our justification. In that one little verse, Paul brings both things together, the cross and the resurrection. Delivered up on the cross for our sins, right? Taking God's wrath in our place, forgiving us his once-for-all sacrifice. And then his resurrection was done for our justification. I love how Tim Keller puts it. The empty tomb on, on Easter Sunday is God's stamping, uh, it is, it is, it is God's stamp of approval, sorry, across all the work that Jesus had done. It's like God saying, paid in full, that's it. Everything he did, it's the vindication of all of it. He was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Without these things, we can't be saved. We can't be forgiven. We can't be right with God. This is why in 1 Corinthians, very important verse, hear this. Paul, again, writes that if Christ has not been raised, if it's a hoax, if it's a myth, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. It's that clear in the scriptures. If these things didn't happen, and we, we are still in our sins, and we're to be pitied. So the first meaning of, of the cross and resurrection is it's, it's our very salvation. But then number two, it's our living hope. These events, the cross and his resurrection, are our living hope. So the apostle Peter, 
writes in 1 Peter, these verses, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The meaning of the resurrection is a living hope now. In other words, it's, it's for us that live right now, for us that live in a world that, that continues to have sickness and viruses and the ripple effects of sickness and viruses. It's our living hope in a world of war, in, in a world of political extremes and violence. It's our living hope in a world that's filled with, with hate and injustice. It's our hope in a world that, that experiences disasters. Why are there earthquakes and tsunamis and, and so on? Because of sin. The Bible says, Romans chapter 8, the world, this, this planet is groaning, waiting to be set free when Jesus who died and rose will one day come again and bring resurrection of all who have believed and then this, this new heaven, new earth will come one day as well. It's, it's our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that those who have died will rise again. So even as I mentioned already, as a church, we lost three people we love we grieve someone who's died. If they're in Christ, they will rise again. Again, that's what Jesus said to Martha, to Mary. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you die, yet will you live. So church, friends, we need to remember the events of the cross and resurrection. We need to remember the meaning. It's our salvation. It's our hope. And it calls for a response. I hope you'll remember. That's a response. I hope those of you that believe this will today remember and celebrate what God has done through Jesus. Um, maybe you need to investigate. Maybe you're, you're here. Maybe you believe, but it's been a while since you've done some investigating in the proofs. Pick up one of those books that I suggested. Pick up the booklet later. Or, or if you're a bit skeptical, you aren't sure if you believe, investigate. Investigate. That, that's a good response to this. Number three, response is to believe. Believe this. Like, like the women did when, when they remembered. They believed and, and they responded. They, they, they believed. They worshiped. The gospel means good news, right? And the gospel is Easter. Or to say it the other way, Easter is the good news. It is finished what God sent Jesus to do. And not only did he die for our sins, but he rose vindicating himself and everything that he had come to do. See, this is not religion. Religion says, obey God, try really hard, and then you'll be accepted. But Christianity, biblical Christianity says, no, no, you are accepted by God through Jesus if what he's done has been substituted, imputed for you. If you've trusted in that, then you obey in response. And you're, you're accepted first, you you, you respond in obedience. That's, that's the grace of biblical Christianity. We're, we're going to end this morning by singing 
uh, one more song that, that just celebrates hallelujah, praise the Lord for the cross. And so as we get ready to sing that, let me, let me just read one more, one more thing. Another book, a third book I'd recommend is by a guy named J. Warner Wallace. He used to be a detective, um, police detective. He came to faith in Christ, and he's put uh, to work uh, his skills of knowing how to investigate crimes and cold cases uh, to, to help, again, us understand the evidence that exists for Jesus. And in his new book, it's called Person of Interest. He writes this. I love this. And um, if, the, if the musicians want to come on up, this would be a good time. But Wallace writes this. Why then did Jesus have an, more of an impact than anyone else? Jesus was born in a tiny, irrelevant town in the Roman Empire and raised in another small village. He had to walk from one place to the next, and as an adult, he never traveled more than 200 miles from the town where he was born. He had none of the resources people use today to make an impact, no social media, no podcast audience, no clever videos, no website. He didn't even have the resources people used in the first century to make an impact He never had a political office, he never ruled a nation, he never led an army, he never authored a book. His family was insignificant. The locals, they suspected he was illegitimately born. His mother was a poor peasant woman. His father couldn't afford much. Jesus didn't receive an expensive education. He never married, he never had children. He never owned a home of his own, and he didn't possess much more than the clothes on his back. As an adult, his own brother was suspicious of his ministry, a work that ended after just three years. Public opinion turned against him. Most of his followers abandoned him. One disciple betrayed him. Another denied him. He was rejected by the religious, hunted by the powerful, mocked and unjustly persecuted by his enemies. He suffered an unfair trial, was publicly humiliated, brutally beaten, unduly executed in the most horrific way. Even then, the few followers who remained, they had to borrow a grave to bury him. Yet this man, he's the man who changed history, inaugurated the common era, forever transformed the most important and revered aspects of human culture. How is it possible that a single man, a man like Jesus, could have this impact? Because he rose Would you stand and let's pray and then let's sing together. Father, I pray we would believe. I pray we would believe. Help us to remember the glorious gospel, the good news, these events of the cross, these events of the resurrection. God, help us to remember their meaning and may we respond. And now, God, help us as we We want to sing, we want to declare hallelujah for the cross. We want to praise the Lord for the cross this glorious Easter day. In Jesus' name.